Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the Wirecard Saga, Season 2. Lies, Spies, and Corporate Crimes. Mikhail Ryder Gordon, Managing Director of Institutional Ethics and Integrity at Affiliated Monitors. Over this podcast series, we're going to take a deep dive into the Wirecard Saga to see where it may take us literally across the globe. The Wirecard Saga is a production of the award-winning Compliance Podcast Network. Thank you, Tom. Welcome back, listeners. Lies, Spies, and Corporate Crimes, The Wirecard Saga, Episode 31, or if you're keeping track, Episode 2 of Season 2. In the last episode, I opened with an examination of how informality corrupted Austria. But today we're going to turn back to Germany and take a look at the mounting costs, the lawsuits, and what has become known as the Wambach Report. Oh, listeners, heaps of orders. But then, does this saga ever let us down? All right, spoiler alert. Marcus Braun remains behind bars. Yes, it's true. As of the 15th of December, former CEO Marky I-don't-know-nothing Braun spent yet another Christmas as a guest of the Augsburg Goblingham prison. Now remember, he's been there since July 22nd of 2020 in pre-trial detention. But on the 15th, the Munich Higher Regional Court quashed yet another appeal by Braun's legal team. And the court ruled that Marcus Braun not only poses a flight risk if freed on bail, but very likely knows a lot more than he's been letting on and therefore should remain in custody. Now, supposedly, the Munich public prosecutor is going to indict him in the next few months, they say. Didn't they say that last year at this time? I know, COVID compresses everything. I'm fairly certain we've heard this before. And yet, and yet, at the very end of December, day before Christmas, it's like a, like a Christmas present for us all. They claimed that the indictment will be coming down by mid-March. That's right. They're going to unveil it, and Marky can see all of the charges laid out. Now, the decision by the Munich Higher Court, it may well have had something to do with that story Sudeutsche uh, Zeitung broke the other week. The one where it turns out Marky Mark admitted to fraud in his deposition last year. Oh, yuppers. Seems our former Wirecard CEO experienced a momentary lapse and for just one brief second whilst being deposed, told the truth. Only to have his attorney strike the admission from the transcript. Maybe Braun's fleeting confession wasn't the only factoid that gave the court reason to keep him on ice. Although it's fairly compelling. Another contributing factor may have been the latest report from insolvency administrator Michael Yaffa. 
recall, he's been rummaging through the wire card jewelry box, trying to sell off the best of the paste and what remains of the Mardi Gras beads in the hope of recovering something, anything, for all of those investors and lenders hoping to recover even a fraction of the catastrophic losses. So what did Yaffa's latest report say? And this is a written report. Yaffa rather put a stake in the heart of bronze defense. That's right. Yaffa has written an explanation of why the defense line Braun has taken, that is the claim of ignorance, <laughs> really rarely a good look, is completely and utterly baseless. According to the report, Yaffa obtained, quote, in an elaborate legal process, all account statements of the bank in Singapore, that is, the bank where Wirecard ostensibly maintained its trust accounts, from which the 1.9 billion euros from transactions with partner companies are said to have suddenly, magically disappeared. And, says Yaffa, quote, it is now finally certain what was already evident from numerous indications beforehand. The claimed and accounted third-party acquirers business all those so-called partner companies, the ones alleged to have billions in earnings, they never existed. Oh yes, Yaffa ripped that band-aid right off. The TPAs never existed. Ever. Remember what I said way back in episode three in the first season, that Wirecard Corporation was never intended to be a viable company, just a vehicle for financial crime? Yaffa, having now reviewed the account statements, discovered what accounts did exist in Singapore, and they were managed as expense accounts. And the expenses that were drawn from them? They were used to pay for purchases at Toys R Us and for filling up petrol tanks, among other things. No, you did not hear that incorrectly. Petrol and shopping at Toys R Us. Okay, which of the crooks in our usual lineup has kids and was doing the school run? Or maybe these were gifts for, for, for boy blunder Marsalik. You can imagine Braun sending Marsalik like a kitty Zoom smartwatch, just like the real spies have. Or maybe a leapfrog leap pad, baby's first tablet. Type in Toys R Us and Risk, and you actually get the Singapore branch of Toys R Us. God, that's precious irony. Or maybe this is where Marsalik learned his strategy for Libya. Playing Risk, the board game Braun ordered for him in Christmas 2016. At any rate, as Yaffa now considers the TPA business to never have existed, it is also his contention that the 2017 and 2018 financial statements not worth the toilette paper they were printed on. Oh yeah, EY's woes just keep growing. Now, the insolvency administrator has filed a corresponding lawsuit against EY. <laughs> and so EY doesn't take it personally? Apparently, Yaffa is also considering suing Braun and other members of both the management and supervisory boards of Wirecard. Why? <laughs> Why not, really? Uh, because they were the ones that drove that bus off the cliff. They approved payouts in the millions, despite it now being patently clear 
Wirecard was already insolvent back in 2017. As in, the CEO had to know. No money, honey. This was the same year Monaco Cryptocurrency announced on Twitter that they'd agreed with Visa to issue Wirecard payment cards. <laughs> oh, well, we all look fondly back on the year 2017 for Wirecard. And the Munich Public Prosecutor's Office has admitted that whilst it's still collecting evidence from other countries whose legal assistance it has sought, including in the roster of cooperating jurisdictions, Austria, well, Natch, Belarus, intriguing, the UAE, Singapore, and the Philippines. <laughs> Fraptious day. Nonetheless, we're expecting that indictment mid-March, just in time for Braun's next detention hearing. Oh, Marky, <laughs> you probably ought to just erase all those marks on the wall and start over with counting the days. And the German Ministry of Justice has confirmed that they have open investigations into no fewer than 17 former Wirecard or Wirecard subsidiaries employees. Among the 17, love this, five former members of the management board the allegations don't just include insider trading and fraud. Money laundering is there at the top of the list. But then again, the predicate offenses <laughs> are hard to avoid. Braun's story does appear to be rapidly unraveling. At one time, there appeared to be a plea deal in the works, the better to avoid the unpleasantness that could come out in trial. But emails from Braun, such as the one that has him instructing Wirecard Bank CFO Rainer Wexler, Quote, I'm hereby instructing you directly from Wirecard AG to carry out the OCAP $100 million transfer without any further delay. Back in November of 2018. Oh, that's hard to get around. A little more difficult to explain that executive decision now that Yoffa's report provides evidence that, well, Braun knew the company was insolvent, like a year before he issued that directive. Former Wirecard employees have testified both to the public prosecutor's office as well as to the Bundestag IC back when they held their hearings of a pretty meticulous and well-informed Braun as CEO. At times, Braun is said to have ruled that company in the manner of a lord over the manor. So playing the victim card is not panning out given that numerous folks have now provided evidence to the prosecutor that Braun regularly downplayed criticism and bad news, but he knew about it. Perhaps most damning, Wirecard's former chief lawyer, Andreas Goris, said of Braun, quote, he would never have been interested in clarifying the allegations about irregularities that have been swirling around the company for years. <laughs> Why would he? It certainly wouldn't help his bottom line. Now, a couple of episodes along, we'll spend some time answering where Braun's early startup funding for the entity that became Wirecard, that transformed into Wirecard AG, came from. After all, he was a KPMG manager just prior to buying the future Wirecard at a low price. And just to be clear, managers in a big four, they're the first rung out of associate you know, associate, senior associate, manager, senior manager, and then maybe, just maybe, partner or principal where real money can be made. Well, it's just about 
anyone can buy a company for a euro, obtaining the capital to operate and grow, I'll be looking at those who exploited the opportunity to build the laundering machine from the ground up, all with the assistance of Braun. Well, at least the complicity. None of the developments, of course, are helpful to the numerous peeved and aggrieved institutions and people who were creditors or shareholders. At last count, in Stuttgart alone, there were 320 investor lawsuits with claims totaling some 53 million euros, which is chump change when you consider at the Munich Regional Court, there are some 650 wirecard lawsuits of only 115 have been dismissed to date. That's quite a gap to close. There are now 40,000 creditors and shareholders who want their 15, 15.8 billion, that's with the B, euros back. <laughs> 40,000. Kind of running out of fingers and toes to count them all. Germany's third largest asset manager, Union Investment, has a lawsuit against uh, Wirecard as does DECA Investments, another German asset management company. And Union, they're represented by Quinn Emanuel, who have said they anticipate filing claims near the 1 billion euro mark. Uh-oh. That's only good. After attorney's fees, that's going to leave only like 12, maybe 11 or 10 million billion for everyone else, for the other 39,999. Oh, And I almost forgot to mention an interesting development. Back in October in Austria, the Innsbruck Higher Regional Court quietly confirmed the jurisdiction of Austrian courts to hear claims by aggrieved investors against, yep, Marcus Braun. What does this mean? It means plaintiff's claims are actionable in Austria as well as Germany. They needn't sit around waiting for the slower German courts. Poor Braun. Turned out being wealthy and maintaining multiple residents isn't all it's cracked up to be. The court found that since Braun still maintains a residence in Vienna, well, see, Braun had argued last summer that as he now fills his days languishing in German prison, he technically no longer is a resident in Vienna or Kitzbühel, and that his right to a fair trial under Article 6 of the ECHR would be endangered if the Austrian court started hearing cases against him as well. His lawyers had even gone so far as to initiate a preliminary ruling procedure at the ECJ. Hey, spare no legal expense. Job is paying. But the Innsbruck Higher Regional Court upheld an Austrian lower court ruling saying it was patently clear that Braun is very much still a resident of Vienna. After all, he's in pretrial detention. He's not a permanent resident, so to speak, of uh, Germany's uh, prison system. Thus, absolutely, Viennese courts should be hearing claims for damages arising from the wirecard debacle. Oh, and then the higher court shot down Braun's application for a ruling from the ECJ. No, sorry, Marcus, no basis for initiating that prelim ruling. It is expected the Austrian courts will move faster. How exciting. And, I'll just add, another Austrian law firm announced the first filing against the Austrian banks that issued derivatives on Wirecard AG. That's right, those have been filed too. Oh, victims and perps everywhere. 
Now, this is particularly amusing, as only a short time before these filings, the chair of Deutsche Bank, Paul Eichleitner, told folks at a corporate governance conference that, oh, wine whinge, international regulators, okay, I think he means regulators in multiple countries, and investors just need to learn to accept the limitations of German corporate governance. You know, manage their expectations. Instead of the chairs of German boards saying they're monitoring their company's control systems and then the regulators getting bent out of shape and telling them that they should do more, such as anticipating implementation of comprehensive controls, just accept that lax corporate governance is the standard for German companies. Wow, really? <laughs> yeah, said Ockleitner. You know, German companies have done better, you know, but they're getting better. The supervisory boards are no longer completely staffed by friends and family members. Uh, you know, but that, that they, haven't, they haven't really been empowered by German law, so it's just unrealistic to think they'd rise to the standards of, say, a U.S. or U.K. corporate governance regime. He went on to suggest German corporate supervisory boards were too big. Maybe make them smaller. Right. So, this is the chair of the bank that had to recall a report it had published that criticized German regulators and suggested maybe all of those scandals and failures of German companies were somehow the fault of the German government. Way to set the tone from the top. The chair wants to place blame anywhere but the companies and their leadership. Oh, listeners, if only we had time to recite the litany of governance failures by Deutsche Bank in just the past couple of years. But podcasts aren't the ring and not meant to run across days. <laughs> okay, maybe we'll mention that Deutsche did file a SAR on a Wirecard majority shareholder, Klaus Rennig, who had some um, unusual trading activity just before Wirecard went belly up. Rennig had been an early investor in the predecessor company and would even go on to serve as chair of the card's supervisory board for a period of time. Now, both financial regulators and the Munich Public Prosecutor's Office are looking into insider trading by Rennig. Specifically, two days prior to Wirecard's complete corporate meltdown, Rennig directed the sale of 5.6 million euros worth of Wirecard stock held by his wife. Oops. Yeah, that's not questionable timing. But here's what's equally interesting. Deutsche filed SARS with Germany's FIU on Rennig back in the spring of 2020, before Wirecard's unseemingly, unseemingly public meltdown. It isn't just that laundering charges attached to insider trading. Uh, no, it seems that Rennig had made a number of public statements carrying on about still being friends with some of Wirecard's leadership, and then the FIU learned that Rennig and some of his family members just happen to also hold liens on two of Marcus Braun's prime properties. His residence in Vienna... That's the one the court was talking about. And that ski schloss in Kitzbühel. And when I say liens, as in millions of dollars owed by Braun to Rennig on these properties. What's the phrase the Russians like to use? 
That is some kind of Santa Barbara. Look it up, folks. Braun as Adrian Leverkuhn. Getting people to believe you are successful can indeed require some bargaining. <laughs> and the Rennigs? Well, whether it was Claus's wife or Claus himself, who happens to hold POA on the account, there were some financial shenanigans going on between 2019 and 2020, including more unfortunate timing with money moving safely to someone else's account family member, in advance of KPMG publishing its report on Wirecard. You know, the one that caused the share price to drop. Now, if it's any consolation to Rennig, Wolf Matthias, who took his place as supervisory board chair, is also under investigation by the public prosecutor. And Thomas Eichelman, also former chair of the supervisory board, The Munich public prosecutor has received no fewer than 15 criminal charges against him since the company filed BK. Talk about aggrieved investors. You know, thus far, and still growing, investigators have identified no fewer than 170 companies, 347 accounts, and 453 people implicated in this fraud. Oh, God, it's like the 12 days of Christmas. Well, to the 10th power. As listeners of this podcast, you know that there are even more folks than that when we expand out to other countries. Listeners, just pause for a moment and think about how much information can come vomiting out of a single criminal or civil case. Now multiply that by the hundreds of criminal and civil cases just getting going. (laughs) You know, it is thought that thanks to a hitherto ineffective AML regime and understaffed FIU, Germany plays host to billions of euros from criminal activities being laundered yearly. And I'm guessing we're going to find out a whole lot about that from these 170 companies, 347 accounts, and 453 people implicated. Uh, Only Alexander Schutz has thus far evaded German criminal prosecution. But remember, they were looking at him for insider trading. But there is still Austria, where some of his dealings with respect to Wirecard and his other offshore holding companies are still under examination. And did I mention... There's also that Wirecard AG securities fraud class action litigation that was filed in the Eastern District of Pennsylvania, not to mention a couple of other cases out in California. Oh, hundreds of lawsuits piling up in German, Austrian, and U.S. courts. (laughs) This is fun, isn't it? Did I mention EY's woes just continue to mount? Recall that way back in August of 21, EY had won its motion to suppress the publication of what was known as the Wambach Report, that which had been an assessment of EY for competence in auditing and auditing practices with respect to Wirecard. Remember, it was supposed to be published as part of the German Bundestag's IC's Greater Report. MPs had argued shareholders had a right to it and EY had pitched a fit. Well, so much for that reprieve for EY. In mid-November, German news outlet Handelsblatt published the entire report on its website. 
even if they're successful pursuing Hanselsblatt, Kitty's out of the bag now. And oh, what a report it is. Listeners, I promise to devote an entire episode to its contents because it's just too good to gloss over. Oh, since then, things for EY have only gotten worse. The Munich Higher Regional Court, the same one that denied Braun bail, also recently issued a 17-page decision regarding, well, <laughs> EY. Now, recall, EY had seen off numerous lawsuits over Wirecard when the Munich Regional Court, that's a lower court, had dismissed them. But the aggrieved shareholders had appealed. And the higher court didn't just rule against EY, they actually took the unusual step of criticizing both the lower court and EY itself. The higher court told the lower court, quote, that's not the way to do it. The regional court can't make it that easy for itself. Then it scolded the lower court, telling it it lacked sufficient expertise or knowledge to assess what EY's auditors did wrong with respect to the allegations made against EY in an expert opinion by the auditing firm KPMG. Now, according to the higher court, an expert opinion would have been appropriate for this purpose, so they instructed the lower court, go retain an expert. Go find an expert who will advise you, lower court. And then the higher court continued and told the regional court, go back, try again. In fact, investigate EY's misconduct with the help of an expert. And this time, you, lower court, you need to pay specific attention to, and I love this part, the Bundestag's IC report on Wirecard. Oh, and as you'll be reading that report, you should also read the Wambach report. The High Court said, hey, Regional Court, you actually managed to violate the plaintiff's right to a fair hearing by failing to take into account the IC's, rather damning, report and the findings of the Wambach report. And last but not least, lower court, you actually block the plaintiffs by applying an absurdly exaggerated causality test. Now, what did they mean by that exactly? Well, the lower court had demanded very precise information from the plaintiffs, the shareholders, as to when and how they would have taken note of Wirecard AG's annual financial statements and EY's attestations. Of course, many of the plaintiffs struggled. They were unable to provide any information or anything specific to answer this particular question. The higher regional court put an end to this blocking practice, saying, quote, if EY had carried out its due diligence, the fraud at Wirecard would have been discovered much earlier, and Wirecard would have had to file for insolvency. In this factual situation, life experience suggests that the plaintiffs would then no longer have bought Wirecard shares. In that case, the plaintiffs would not have suffered any damage either. Thus, causality is unproblematically given, and the lawsuits cannot fail on this question. (laughs) What does this decision from the higher court actually mean? Well, it means investors can now pursue claims for damages against EY 
and all of those suits that got dismissed by the Munich Regional Court, remember the 115 I mentioned? They're coming back like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. One of the attorneys representing several investor lawsuits called the higher court's report, alongside that of the Wambach report, a game changer. (laughs) Oh, really? You think? In fact, he highlighted one finding in particular from the report. Quote, EY already, and this is from the Wambach report, folks, EY already noticed in March 2017 that a lot of things didn't fit, and therefore named wirecard requirements that would first have to be met before the auditors could issue an audit opinion. But although wirecard ultimately never fulfilled the requirements, EY audited the financial statements for 2017. Anyway, listeners, as I said, I'm going to devote an entire episode to this report. It's just too good to ignore. Now, the group Structured Finance interviewed attorney uh, Mike, uh, Mark Liebescher, uh, as well as uh, MP Fabio Damasi recently. Now, Liebescher told Structured, quote, there were people, meaning employees at Wirecard, below the management board who noticed, hmm, something isn't right here, and who nevertheless continued to work. And then Liebescher went on to say, The story has not been told, not even in the second and third levels at Wirecard. In principle, employees below board level could also be prosecuted, provided they can be proven to have acted with intent or involvement. Oh, that has got to have some folks feeling a teensy-weensy bit queasy. Fabio Damasi piled on by observing, quote, there were documents that suggested that EY was involved in advising, advising, on the third-party business, you know, the one that Yaffa found didn't exist. So EY basically recommended to help set up this complex structure, which was then also used for the fraud. Gosh, there's so many people to sue. I, I <laughs> It's so exciting. This is going to go for decades. And also in November of this past year, a superstar Austrian plaintiff's lawyer and well-known German law firm teamed up, and they also are suing EY. The Austrian lawyer represents some 2,000 individuals, everybody from investor millionaires to institutions and asset managers, family offices, investment firms, the litany. And with the Wambuck report in hand, investor advocates are seeking to bundle claims against EY in a Dutch foundation and thereby seek a much higher dollar settlement. Not certain this bundle includes Quinn Emanuel's suit on behalf of Union and some of the other major institutional investors, but that would be one interesting class action. So what does this do to the criminal cases of the specific partners from EY who led those audits? They also have to be feeling a little tiddly right now. German auditing regulator Apus has already referred their case to the Berlin's uh, AG's office, citing the German commercial code, which states clearly that anyone reporting incorrectly when auditing financial statements, annual financial statements, that is, conceals material information or Issues an audit opinion with erroneous content can be criminally prosecuted with sentences up to three years prison. 
The Munich Public Prosecutor's Office has confirmed having received multiple criminal charges against EY and some of its German partners for breaching their professional duty and abetting fraud. Said the prosecutor, of course we'll be including the Wambuck report in our investigation. Could EY find itself in trouble in other jurisdictions for the part it played in Wirecard's decade-plus corporate crime spree? Mm, yeah, quite possibly. Why? Oh, you see, EY Law, yes, EY's law firm arm, in this case, their law firm in Germany, was involved in six separate corporate takeovers by Wirecard between 2011 and 2015. Any guess who their client was? Yeah, Wirecard. <laughs> EY Law advised on six, advised Wirecard on six separate corporate takeovers. Yes, all the while, its audit arm was auditing Wirecard. No conflicts of interest there. Yes, EY Law aided Wirecard in a goodly number of its acquisitions in Asia. EY Law handled Wirecard's acquisition of GFG Group in New Zealand. Go back to episode 13 if you've forgotten some seriously dodgy goings-on with that acquisition and subsequent Wirecard entity. And EY Law, they drafted the contracts for Wirecard's takeover of PT Prima Vista Seleuci and PT Aprisma. You know, those two Indonesian companies that turned out to have obtained so-called customer portfolios from shell companies in the BVI, Panama, and Hong Kong? Yes, that's also where the money paid by Wirecard disappeared into a puka shell necklace of offshore entities in those jurisdictions. Yes, you heard that correctly. EY Law drafted the contracts for Wirecard's acquisition of the entities that helped falsely inflate Wirecard's balance sheet that EY Audit then signed off on. <laughs> it gets worse. Can it? Really? In two takeover instances, the supposed customer portfolios Wirecard was said to be acquiring, the customers were already theirs. And none of the lawyers at EY Law noticed that in the due diligence process for the M&A work that they were doing on behalf of their client, Wirecard? They paid millions for, well, Wirecard, that is, for what they already had. Or for bupkis, depending on how one looks at it. I expect right about now, EY has been holding some very lengthy discussions with their insurance carrier. And that, listeners, is it for today's episode. Next week on Lies, Spies, and Corporate Crimes, The Wirecard Saga, Henry O'Sullivan at Long Last and Shell Games. I'm Mikhail Ryder-Gordon. My thanks to my host, Tom Fox, and the Compliance Podcast Network. And always my thanks to you, listeners. Keep the fan mail coming. And until next week, I'll see you then. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.